You're listening to Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois. Here's your host, Ed Yonka, Director of Communications and Public Policy. Thank you, Max, and welcome to this edition of Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois. It's great to have you with us today. We all have seen the countless ways in which the lives and rights of those who are transgender are under attack across the country, from the ban on serving in the military to efforts to bar transition-related health care. At the ACLU, we have a long history of fighting this discrimination. In Illinois, we fought and won the ability to change the gender marker on an Illinois birth certificate without unnecessary and dangerous surgery. And we have been successful in our state in getting insurance companies to provide that coverage for transition-related health care. And as you may have heard in our previous episode featuring our client Nova Madej, the ACLU has been fighting across the state for equal access to bathrooms and locker rooms in public schools for transgender students. A quick update, School District 211 Board voted to approve a new policy intended to allow full and equal access for transgender students to all parts and all facilities in schools in that district. Today, we want to talk about a recent matter that was handled by the ACLU. It is a story of bias and discrimination aimed at our client because she is a transgender woman of color. To tell that story, we are joined by two guests, our client, Judy Brown, and ACLU staff attorney, Carolyn Wald, who represents Judy in her lawsuit. Judy and Carolyn, welcome to Talking Liberties. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Judy, as I mentioned in the intro, you face discrimination on the job because of who you are. And I wonder if we could just start off by you sharing a little bit of that story and what you experienced. Well, yes, I did encounter a lot of discrimination, a lot of harassment, um, just for being a transgender woman of color. Um, I was called a lot of derogatory names, remarks. Um, I was asked a lot of invasive questions regarding my anatomy. Um, just very, it was a, a very dark experience to go through. So let's talk a little bit. You experienced this when you were working for... Circle K Shell. Correct. Right. And what year was it when you went to work for them? Do you remember? Um, This was 2016. Yeah. And when you say that you had invasive questions, were those questions that began almost instantly when you started? Or was that the general nature of the employment that people asked those kinds of questions? No, it was definitely nothing that I had experienced prior. I've always worked in corporate America. I've always held a job from the time that I was able to. And I've always presented myself in the like of a transgender woman. So I never really experienced this level of harassment or discrimination or questions. Um, It was a really awkward experience to go through. It happened, I would want to say the first day, I felt uncomfortable, but the questions definitely happened immediately within the first three days of my working there. How did that make you feel? You said you had worked in other places. Did you feel just embarrassed? Was it awkward? You said awkward. Yes, before. it was I just awkward. Wonder- it was just I'm used to working, getting a job, and just simply doing that, just working, pretty much staying to myself, 
getting my job done, going home. But for this particular situation, it was more, I felt it was more of a, a processing, like I was being processed as an individual. It didn't feel like a job to me. It felt like I was still going through an interview while I was working, if that makes sense. Yeah. Did you like the job otherwise? Did you enjoy the work? I did work? like the job. It was definitely something I never worked at a gas station before, but I did work in retail. So I, it was pretty much similar things um, as well as customer service. So it was it was very similar, but a new aspect in regards to duties, roles, and just the the workload. I wasn't used to that workload that I had. You seem like someone, if you'll pardon the presumption, you mm-hmm. seem like someone who likes to interact with people. I do. I'm a very people person. I'm very friendly. People tell me I'm outspoken, but I like to think that I'm shy, which is weird because I do think that I'm shy, but I like people. So if I'm presented with the conversation, I'm, I will definitely engage in the conversation. So let's go back. Now you're in this job. You're doing this role. You like aspects of the job, and mm-hmm. you're facing these questions and this harassment. What did you do? Did you tell people that it was happening? Did you tell superiors? Yeah, I definitely voice my opinion. That is one thing about myself. I'm definitely not scared to voice an opinion. It's kind of hard for me to hold anything in. If I'm feeling any type of, whether it be good or bad, I have to release it. So I definitely express my concern as well as how uncomfortable the questions made me and just try to avoid them at any cost. But somehow how they always end it right back in my in my face, I guess. So so management, whenever you would raise these issues, never did anything to others in terms of their actions or helped you out in any way. Correct. I think the questions that I were being asked were very personal and very intimate questions, questions that I don't see um, was being asked by towards or anyone else. It was kind of like that new person when you were in high school, the new kid in high school. That's kind of what it reminded me of, just being the new kid and being examined thoroughly. And did you feel like things got worse after you complained? Did they get better or did it sort of continue on at at about the same level? Um, In regards to the questions, I would say they they did cease. Um, They did over time. The more that I complained about the questions, they did slow down. But it just snowballed into other bigger events that transpired while I worked there. Is there one moment or one thing that happened that kind of sticks out in your mind when you think back on that time now? Um, I would want to say the darkest moment, probably something that I still kind of, I, I like to call it a thorn in my side. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just being called um, the man in the dress, being called a prostitute, Things of that nature, being called the N-word, just those things are kind of like really dark clouds that I try to remove, but they somehow always come back, especially the men in the dress that definitely really affected me in in the worst way possible. And you kept going still. You kept going back there until you were ultimately were fired. And I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about how that came to be. 
Well, yeah, I, I definitely kept the job because I was a good worker. I actually was a great worker. Not to toot my own horn. I probably was the best worker, I'm just saying. But it was hard for me to get a job as a transgender woman of color. It's definitely difficult to just find an employer that doesn't see you as a transgender woman of color, but just sees you as a great asset to their company. Especially at that time, I was homeless as well. So it was a lot in my personal life that was going on where I needed the income. So having the job really, really mattered. It was definitely essential for me to to keep some type of employment. Otherwise, I definitely would have been in a worse situation. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so you're you're balancing off this harassment that you're facing every day with the the prospect of not having any income. Correct. So it was definitely a battle to within myself. Do I leave and stand up for myself and just say, I I don't have to put up with this? Or do I put on my big girl panties and do what I have to do just to survive? And that's the option I chose. Yeah. Judy, there's one particular story Mm -hmm. from your complaint that's always stuck with me. Okay. Um, Having to do with personal items in your locker and someone violating that space. And I I wonder if you could just talk about that for a moment, just to get a sense of how bad this harassment was. Um, Well, yes. I did have a personal locker. It's where I kept all my, as we all did, all the employees, we had our own personal lockers. Um, And it's where I kept my my items, um, mainly my hair items. I was very, very adamant about my hair. I'm less fussy about my hair. (laughs) So I had a lot of brushes, combs, just anything pertaining to hair. I I definitely had on hand. I I like to call it my own beauty supply. I really had a beauty supply store. Um, And there was an employee who I was constantly being harassed by. Um, The one who did call me the man in the dress, the prostitute, um, the N-word, basically all of the harassment that I was involved in. Um, She actually would go into my locker and throw my things away. Um, She actually would, and, and would, would be happy about it. She would walk around and express how she did it. She Even to management, she would call management and inform management, oh, I'm throwing his stuff in the garbage. Why does he have his brush everywhere? Or he shouldn't be able to have a brush or combs. I'm tired of seeing his brushes and combs. I'm throwing them away. So it was it was a definitely a, a very hard situation to be in. Um, so definitely, yeah, it happened. She would just throw all of my things in the garbage, which I would then eventually have to replace myself. Right, right. And and feeling that your personal space and items are being invaded in that way without management doing yeah. anything about it must have been very frustrating. It was a very low experience yeah. uh, to top off all the other, you know. I To be honest with you, um, it just got lower. It was just a, a, a ricochet of, of low moments that I went through. Um, but that definitely was one of them. And the fact that nothing was done made it even worse because it, it kind of made that treatment acceptable, that it was being treated as it that was okay. Yeah. Which, of course, it wasn't. Yeah. So what happened in the end? Um, so what happened in the end, I ultimately I ended up being wrongfully terminated. They saw an excuse or a window to get rid of me, and they did. We should talk a little bit about what that excuse was. Mm-hmm. Well, 
essentially I did work a set schedule. So as I stated, I was homeless. So I was literally getting rides from family members or whoever I could get to go to work. Take about an hour and 30 minutes just to get to work. So I had a set schedule and it came a time where I'm also a performer. So I dance, I do music, I am very creative. So the Pride Parade of that year, I was presented the opportunity to perform. And it was a really good, exciting time for me, especially with all the negativity that was going around and around me. It was light at the end of the tunnel. And this was the Pride Parade in Chicago, Correct. I should say. Chicago so it's a Pride. big event. It is a big event, and especially being a member of the LGBT community, it's just a day where, where you get to truly be yourself and celebrate you being yourself. So I was excited for that. Um, but I eventually was scheduled to work that day. And it was something that I talked about performing there for, I would say, at least a month. Mm-hmm. I was really excited and management knew of it. So I didn't have any reason to call off or schedule the day off of work because, again, I had a set schedule. I worked Monday through Friday. So, of course, Pride is on the weekend. So I was good. But I would want to say the week before Pride, I received the schedule via text message, which is normally posted, you know, at least two weeks in advance. And I was informed that I had to work that day. On the Sunday On of the, the Pride parade. On Sunday, correct. So I would immediately responded to the text, hey, um, why am I scheduled for this day? You know, I, I don't work this day. And of course, I have plans, which they were aware of my plans. I was responded back with, I'm sorry to hear that. And I proceeded to go to work the next day, had a face-to-face conversation and expressed that, hey, I'm not going to be here Sunday. Are you going to change it? I will handle it, is what I was expressed, very nonchalant and not, you know, detailed answer. So ultimately, I followed the schedule through except for that Sunday, of course, and I returned the next scheduled shift and my numbers did not work. I wasn't able to punch in. Your, your numbers that allow you to log into Correct. the system. that allows me to work. I wasn't able to punch in. Um, initially, I thought it was a glitch or something. You know, things do happen. So I proceeded to continue to work, speak to my customers, um, clean. Um, And it wasn't until another employee looked at me and said, what are you doing here? You're fired. And that was the first you knew. That was the first instinct of me having any inkling that I had been terminated. What did it feel like in that moment? I was embarrassed. Mm. I, I can feel, I remember my stomach dropping down to my feet. I was so embarrassed because the store was, of course, full of customers. And firstly, it's embarrassing to get fired in general. Who wants to get fired? But to get fired by a peer and not even someone who has the authority to tell you that you're fired, it was really frustrating. So I I immediately expressed to her, so what do you mean that I'm fired? You know, she was, well, um, the manager at the time, well, she told me that you're fired. You know, she told me that you know, you don't work here anymore. So I proceeded to call my manager. No answer. I text her. No response. I say, well, hey, why don't you call her off of your phone and see if she answers? She calls. She answers. And, and she proceeds to tell her um, that I'm there and that my numbers don't work. And she's like, well, tell her that she's fired. She's no longer an employee of Circle K. 
So I asked to speak to her. I said, why am I fired and how are you going to fire me through via someone else who doesn't have even have the authority to present this information to me? Um, she was, well, this is your notice. You're no longer an employee of Circle K. And she hung up the phone on me. And that was it. And that was it. You decided ultimately to bring this lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Why did you decide to do that? Why is this important to you in that way? Because the feeling that I felt, I knew that it was wrong. I knew that I couldn't live with myself knowing that not only that I went through this, but someone else that's like me is going through this too, just because they are being who they are. And that's wrong. So I made up in my mind from that day, I remember walking out and I walked around the whole store because mm-hmm. I, I really wanted to take the whole, my whole experience that I had there, everything that I went through, the negativity, the hatred. I wanted to gather all of that feeling. So I literally walked through the whole store and I walked out the door and I turned around and I said, this is going to be made right. And I went home and here I am. What is it that you would want someone to know who's listening to this that's never thought about this issue or never thought about discrimination against someone on the basis of who they are, Mm -hmm. what would you want them to know about how it feels, about why it's important to confront this and fight this? What's your message to someone like that? I think it's important because I find that people don't like what they don't understand. And I feel, firstly, being educated on what it means to be transgender would be the first step. Mm -hmm. But I would want people to understand that you really can't judge a life that you've never lived. So being a transgender woman, especially of color, is an extremely difficult life. But the outcome of it is being true to yourself. So I would just want everyone to be true to themselves and accept whatever comes along with it. What's been the response of people in terms of your having filed this suit and gone public put your name out in public in this Mm -hmm. way. What have people said to you? How have they responded? I received a lot of positive comments and remarks. Personally, myself, I tend not to seek the comments or the remarks because that's not the reason why I did it. Mm -hmm. My main concern is just to, as I stated, to make that situation right. And that's my main goal. I do want to inspire Anyone who can relate to me, because I know that I wish that I had someone to relate to in my situation, because I I didn't. I didn't know what was the right thing to do or to say. I just knew that I was being authentically me and that I was definitely being mistreated as well as harassed and all of these other things. I knew that it was wrong. Yeah. So I would want other people to know that it's wrong. It's not okay for someone to look at you and degrade you and just make you feel less of a human being because you're transgender. So, Carolyn Wald, you're part of the legal team on Judy's case, and and I wonder, 
this is an incredible story and obviously incredibly emotional for Judy and I think for any of us who hear it. Let me start off with the basic question. Is what happened to Judy legal in Illinois? Simply put, no. (laughs) There are Illinois state laws as well as federal laws that prohibit discrimination on the basis of race, um, sex, and gender identity. So um, it's certainly a violation of those laws. And one of those laws is the Illinois Human Rights Act, right? That's correct. That was amended a few years ago so that it is fully inclusive protections for people who are transgender or on the basis of gender identity. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, So the Illinois Human Rights Act has been really, really important in securing um, the rights of transgender people um, as well as across the LGBT spectrum. So we're very lucky that uh, Illinois does have very robust um, anti-discrimination laws. So some of our listeners may have heard about the Stevens case, the case of Amy Stevens that was the first transgender right case that was argued earlier uh, this year uh, in front of the Supreme Court. And I wonder if you could just talk for a second, how do you see that case in the context of, of Judy's story, and would that decision have any impact on what happens here in Illinois? Sure. So for those listening who maybe don't have the the basic facts of the Stevens case, um, Amy Stevens was a woman. um, She was a funeral director and she was living in Michigan. And she had previously started to realize that she was a transgender woman and um, had come out to her wife and was ready to take the next step to be living openly as a trans woman um, at work as well. So she had worked at the same funeral home for a very long time, had been um, a beloved employee and really climbed in her work. And she wrote a very heartfelt letter to her boss and to her coworkers explaining, you know, this is who I am and, you know, please, <laughs> please respect that and, you know, please accept me. And most of her coworkers were great. Um, unfortunately, her boss decided to fire her. Um, you know, he wanted her to continue to wear the male uniform, which she was not comfortable doing, um, and basically refused to acknowledge or accept her as a woman. And so she ended up taking that case all the way to the Supreme Court to say that this type of um, discrimination is illegal, um, that Title VII, which is the law that protects workers from discrimination, does include transgender people and that this type of situation is, should be protected by federal law. And no matter what the decision is in that case, or I should just ask, how does that case affect what happens here in Illinois? Sure. So... The Illinois Human Rights Act does serve as a backbone. So no matter what happens at the federal level, um, the Human Rights Act will be there um, as uh, an option for someone who's experienced discrimination to to seek that recourse. Um, You know, that's not to understate the importance of the Stevens case. Who knows how it will turn out. Uh, the court could obviously move a variety of different ways. We won't know what they decide to do until probably June of 2020. Um, but, you know, even to the extent that federal protections are rolled back or in some way limited, we do have uh, the Human Rights Act. However, of course, um, to the extent that they are limited, then, you, you know, people in other states as well as in Illinois lose that opportunity to seek recourse under federal laws, which, you know, can be sometimes beneficial depending on the circumstance. Is what happened to Judy, just to ask this before, is what happened to Judy rare? Is it unusual or is it, does it happen more than we know? Employment discrimination across the board is um, unfortunately 
widespread, um, and particularly for transgender people and trans women of color. Um, they experience a lot of uh, employment discrimination. Unfortunately, what happened to Judy, which should never happen, um, does happen across the country in the state. Judy, have you heard from other uh, women who are transgender about discrimination in the workplace? Yes, and it's funny you say that because actually just last week I had um, a a fellow transgender friend of mine. Um, She reached out to me, um, and she is an earlier generation from me. She would be in the the upcoming generation Mm -hmm. from myself and she reached out and she was just informing me and asking me questions in regards to a situation that she had that happened at her employer and she just wanted my help in regards to where should she go who can she talk to in regards to helping her um, voice what happened and her concern and it was a very um, just fulfilling moment it was amazing to see someone else standing up for for their self. And that's that's ultimately what it's about, is standing up not only for what's right, but also standing up for yourself and saying, hey, it's not okay to treat me this way. Um, so definitely, especially, again, of transgender women of color, there's a lot of, a lot of things that we have to go through in regards to the lifestyle that we live. And it's very limited help or knowledge or resources for us to speak up for ourselves or to obtain help or assistance. So it definitely happens more than we know. Carolyn, what kind of forms does it take? Is it just firing like like Judy experienced or are there other forms of discrimination that we can see in the workplace? There are significant barriers to entry, um, particularly for transgender women of color because they have um, several marginalized identity that are interacting and laying on top of one another. Um, And so, you know, to the extent that there is racial discrimination, which is unfortunately widespread, um, you know, that also kind of doubly impacts certain communities. Um, And so the other difficult thing about um, employment discrimination at the hiring stage is it can be very difficult to know when that's happened to you because you don't know why you didn't get that interview. You don't know why you didn't get that job. And, uh, you know, the only the employer knows what kind of criteria they were looking for. Only they know the pool of applicants. So it can be very difficult to um, know for sure. The statistics do bear out that um, transgender people, and especially transgender people of color, do have difficulty finding work in large part due to discrimination. And there are other forms of discrimination once someone's hired. Mm-hmm. I think you worked on something recently with, with regards to just the provision of healthcare-related transition services as well. Yes. Um, once on the job, uh, discrimination can take the form of, you know, not letting employees use the restroom or locker room that matches their um, gender identity, things like that. Um, it can also be healthcare, as you mentioned. So unfortunately, it's not uncommon for both uh, public and private employers to have in their health insurance plan um, an exclusion for transition-related care, um, especially with surgeries. There's just unfortunately a misunderstanding of just medical transition in general and and why these things are medically necessary. Um, So a recent example of that is um, we represented a CTA bus operator 
So, so as city of Chicago um, public transit bus operator, and he was out at work as trans and uh, was ready to move forward um, with his medical transition and wanted to get surgery. And, you know, unfortunately, when he started to move ahead, he discovered that the CTA employee health insurance plan had an exclusion for that procedure. Um, so we wouldn't be able to. So we were able to write a letter to the CTA um, explaining that these procedures are, in fact, um, medically necessary and that, you know, listing our successes um, with other entities and companies um, in getting these policies changed and in some cases declared illegal. Um, and so we were able to convince the CTA um, to roll back that exclusion. And um, as of last year, they, they do cover these procedures. So that's really an amazing step forward given how many thousands of people the CTA would employ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think the other big one, too, is that we, along with a coalition of other um, advocates and um, healthcare professionals, were also able to negotiate with the current administration in the state to change the Medicaid policy to make sure that these types of uh, medical procedures are covered under Medicaid. We're hopeful that this will take effect um, in January, but that's hopefully something that will be soon on the horizon. Um, Carolyn, tell me a little bit about what kinds of discrimination someone can face in employment if they're transgender and and some of the things that we need to be thinking about in terms of, you know, protecting against those things. Another barrier to entry can be around identity documents, so your ID, your social security card, um, things like that. Um, Oftentimes, there are barriers to getting your name changed on DE. It costs money. Um, it's a process that can be sometimes confusing. Um, and additionally, there are, uh, Illinois has some of the strictest laws around changing your name. So, for example, if you have any kind of felony conviction in Illinois, you're barred from changing your name for 10 years. And for certain kinds of offenses— Say that again. I, I yes. think people probably have no idea that that provision exists in the yes. law. Yeah, so if you have a felony conviction, you cannot change your name in Illinois for 10 years after your sentence is complete. And that can be, as we know, some simple drug possessions yeah. that can be charged as a felony. Absolutely. Yeah. And also, you know, as as we were talking about um, the, the ways in which uh, people can—transgender people um, have, you know, more than one marginalized identity, um, obviously— over-policing of communities of color, um, particularly black and brown communities, um, can lead to more criminal convictions. And so, of course, as these interactions increase, the, you know, the more likelihood that it is that you end up with a criminal record. So if you're not able to change your name, then every time you present ID to buy a six-pack of beer at the grocery store, to um, you know, check in at the lobby of an office building, to apply for a job, you out yourself. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, that that mismatch can be really dangerous. Um, I think something that Judy went through was it that— It definitely is dangerous. Yeah, something that Judy went through was that, um, you know, when you were, uh, you know, handing customers their receipts, the receipt had your former name on it, it right? It did. And that it, it got to the point where I actually I wouldn't even give out the receipts. Oh. I would I would I would withhold the receipt unless it was asked for. Yeah. Because I knew that 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 prior name was on the receipt, and I didn't want you know to experience that, or I really didn't want anyone to know. Um, so I would definitely withhold the receipt unless it was asked. So this name change issue, Carolyn, is something that 
we can change in statute, though, right? Yes, yeah. So, um, as I mentioned, Illinois has one of the strictest laws in the entire country, and there's just there's just no reason for it. Um, so, we are working alongside um, transgender advocates um, and um, other groups who have been fighting for this for a long time and saying, you know, describing how much um, these ID laws um, are really harming the community. Um, and so, we're working together um, to try to move forward le- legislation that would eliminate some of these needless barriers that put people's lives at risk. And do you expect that that law will be introduced in, or that proposal be introduced in 2020? We hope so. Great. That'd be January of 2020. Yes, just we be, hope. Yeah, okay, just to be clear. So let me just ask as a wrap-up, so what happens next with a case like this of Judy's? What do you anticipate happening next, and where do you see this going? Procedurally, um, so we already filed what's called the complaint, which lays out the facts of the case and explains to the court um, why we think what happened was illegal. The next phase that we're currently in is a process called discovery. So that's where both sides, both, um, you know, Judy and her attorneys and uh, Circle K and their attorneys exchange information and um, start developing the case that they need to move forward. And eventually there will be a trial. If we lose, there will be an appeal. (laughs) So, you know, it really... um, it, it will not be a fast process. Litigation is often quite slow, but we are, you know, fi- moving ahead and, and going to fight to make sure that this doesn't happen to anybody else and that Judy is made whole for what's been done to her. Judy, does it feel good to be in this fight? It does. I definitely, I didn't see myself being here. I, like I stated, I just knew that I was going to do anything and everything necessary to make the situation right. I'm incredibly blessed and I'm just humbled to to even be at this point, especially to be able to voice my, you know, my own concern being a member of that community, but also shed light to the injustice as well as the horrible things that are happening to transgender women. So as Carolyn stated, we're in it to the end, whatever that shall be. Well, we wish you the best, and and uh, I thank you, Judy Brown, for coming mm-hmm. on and, and, and sharing your story with no us today, problem. and Carolyn for the update, and we will look forward to uh, much more about this in the future. You can read more about Judy's case at our website, aclu-il.org. Thank you for listening to Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois. Talking Liberties is produced by Max Bever. Executive producer, Chris Olson. This episode was mixed by Sydney Jones. Our content supervisor is Kimberly Koziel, and our executive director is Colleen Connell. You can subscribe to this podcast and rate us anywhere that you listen to podcasts. You can visit our website at aclu-il.org to learn more about our work in this area or any others. Until next time, this is Talking Liberties with the ACLU of Illinois. See you soon.